Going against society has the empowering feeling of standing alone on the top of a mountain. But is it even possible to climb to those heights without falling into the lonely pit of self-delusion? And what does it really mean to be an individual? Welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of the Evolve Faster Podcast. I'm Scott Ely. Civil Individualism. Loneliness atop Mount Empowerment. Silence, as if all sound was vacuumed out of the car. Sam ruminated on her plan. She clutched the wheel, her knuckles white and palms slippery from sweat. Ever since self-driving cars became ubiquitous, just holding the wheel of a car felt unnatural. On the passenger seat was a gun, the barrel glinting in the sun. Could she really do this? The upper parking lot was lonesome, with only a few empty cars. As if hiding, Sam peeked through the dusty windshield at the building down below. A group of students protested in front of the college entrance, waving cardboard signs that looked like cheap white umbrellas. It was odd to see people who were clearly shouting, but not hear a sound. If she could only silence people she didn't want to hear up close as well, maybe she could. She opened the windows, leaned back, and closed her eyes. The breeze refreshed her, and she took a slow, deep breath, ignoring the faint shouting in the distance. Sam imagined a character standing at the peak of a mountain. In every direction, there were lower peaks and even clouds below the line of sight. The air was clean up here, and nothing, not society, culture, family, religion, politics, could distort these clear views. The vision gave her strength. Yes, you can do this, she told the windshield. The phone ringing startled Sam down to her bones. Her eyes popped open, looking around in all directions, as if someone had just fired a shot right in the car. Pressing her chest with her left palm, she calmed her heart down. Sam saw Rose on the screen, a face that usually brought joy. But today, Sam's return smile was a grimace of pain. Seeing Rose brought a bittersweet memory of her small hometown, a place where Sunday church visits were mandatory, and talking about the Big Bang was akin to discussing one's love of Satan. Leaving for university was supposed to mean doors opening for new ideas, thoughts, and progress. Conversations that went beyond the weather and wasn't that sermon inspiring? Hi, Rose. Hi, Sam. Figuring out what to say next, Rose beat her to the punch. So when are you coming home? Sam replied after another extended pause. I don't know. I have some things to do. Sam glanced at the gun for the hundredth time in the last hour. Perhaps she was hoping it would eventually give her comfort. Okay, well, that was a very Sam answer. Equal parts ambiguous and mysterious. Where are you right now? She changed her mind and decided not to lie. I'm at school. I need to take care of some paperwork for my PhD. You're there, Rose spat back? Isn't the protest against your professor happening? Please don't tell me you're there to defend that right-wing trash. I love you, but you aren't thinking straight. I know he's your doctoral advisor, but Sam, you could get hurt. 
the fire that started in Sam's heart a few months prior continued to rage. Rose, of all people, was now fanning the flames. He isn't trash. Sam, I realize the only reason you took him as your PhD advisor was because of his research in the nature of reality. But how can you still support a guy trying to prove that God exists? His agenda is now clear. Science has come such a long way and doesn't need this setback. No matter what he finds, it will get twisted into more pseudoscience arguments against evolution in schools or worse. You have to look no further than his grants. The Genesis Foundation? Sam, you're the smartest person I know, and separation of church and state is fundamental to who you are. How can you be okay with this? Sam heard Rose gasp when she slammed the wheel of the car. We aren't trying to prove that God created the universe. We're on the brink of proving something important, the real truth about the universe, that it wasn't an explosion of energy from nothing that started it all. How this idea has captivated so many smart people is a mystery to me. Does this really make sense to you? Terence McKenna said it best, give us one miracle and we'll explain the rest. It's ridiculous. Now you're quoting hippie pseudoscientists? Who are you and what did you do with my Sam? Sam exhaled, shaking her head. The world would be wise to listen to what some of the psychonauts had to say. Professor Green is far from the only scientist to propose that there was no starting point. In fact, the idea is decades old, and making a resurgence as more scientists find the Big Bang is what came first to be unlikely. Dr. Green has formulated a theoretical model supporting a universal force that's far more plausible. It's similar to string theory, but more evolved mathematically. And most importantly, it's provable experimentally. It even aligns with the multiple universe interpretation of quantum mechanics. This ridiculous proving God exists accusation is a misinterpretation of his model purposely twisted to start an ideological and political fight. Rose sighed loud enough to make Sam squeeze the wheel even harder. Sam, that's the same verbiage religious people use. Just because we can't prove God doesn't exist, that doesn't mean he isn't watching us 24-7 from above. After everything you've been through, I can't believe you're letting him brainwash you. Why would his research be funded by a far right-wing organization if it was anything but political rhetoric to further their agenda? Are you serious? Who cares where the money comes from if the research and the results are genuine? Look at his track record. Are you seriously saying he should refuse the funding because it goes against your trivial political values? Sam wondered if Rose had hung up. Listen, Sam, I can't go through this with you again, especially on the phone. I, I'm just worried and disappointed. I know you're busy with whatever it is you're doing, I'll let you be. Can you please stop at the store and buy groceries before you come home? I'll message you the grocery list. Bye. Sam dropped the phone on the seat and rested her head on the steering wheel. These conventional wisdoms and tribal boundaries and masks everyone was supposed to wear drove her to this trigger point. She'd told herself she was done fighting these battles. So why did she continue to answer these calls? Sam wanted to scream. But more than that, she needed to execute. Now, there was only one clear path. Exiting her car 
and standing alone at the top of the hill, Sam closed her eyes again and breathed in deeply. Even though the cold would be coming, she loved the clean air of the fall. It tasted like freedom. But when she looked back down at the leeches carrying protest signs, the taste turned metallic, like having a penny under her tongue. Sam returned to her car. The coldness of the steel made her entire body shiver. She placed the gun and other items on the seat into her bag. The book was last. Looking at the cover, she spoke aloud its most famous line, words that were, at least in part, inspiring her current path. I will stop the engine of the world. She marveled at how these eight words could so succinctly sum up a novel of over a thousand single-spaced pages. Sam couldn't understand how Ayn Rand found the time or creativity to write the 20-page long soliloquies which represented the bloody fingerprint of her life's work. Rand must have hated society even more than Sam. She skipped to the blank pages at the book's end, filled with her handwritten notes. Two highlighted quotes taken from elsewhere stood out in a collage of scribbled ideas. If we choose, we can live in a world of comforting illusion. It was amazing how powerful one quote could be. She hadn't even read the full Noam Chomsky text from which it had been plucked. She closed the book and zipped her bag. Sam exited the car and descended the hill. The protesters below looked like nails dumped out of a box, hundreds of them, all identical with the same function, to be nailed down and serve their purpose in society. They became more rigid with each ideological hammer blow. If Sam were to wrench them out of their ideals, only a bent and broken shell would remain. The closer she moved, the more the fresh air of her previous perch was replaced by the stench of the crowd. Did it really stink, or was her mind playing tricks on her? Of late, she found it harder to differentiate real from fake. With her nerves on edge, Sam's thoughts bounced around like a ball inside an old pinball machine. Why do I always go against the grain? Maybe Rose is right. Maybe I'm making myself unhappy. Sam thought of what excited her only months before. Now, the pursuit of becoming a respected physicist and the simple times with Rose seemed like a lifetime ago. Once she'd made up her mind, all of that seemed trivial compared to what had to be done. Why am I doing this? As if replying to her inner thoughts, the protesters started up again. Big bang, not big God. Big bang, not big God. She answered her own question because this is stupidity and it needs to stop. It made her nauseous to be part of this crowd, even knowing she didn't align with them. There was a George Carlin quote she loved, which read, I despise groups of people, but I love individuals. Every person you look at, you can see the universe in their eyes, if you're really looking. She had to get out of here and get back to her plan. With her hand in the bag resting on the cold steel, she headed towards the steps in higher ground. A strong pull from behind nearly made her drop the bag. I can't believe you showed your face here. Sam turned, releasing the gun and pulling her hand out of the bag. The man gripping Sam's shoulder was wearing what she called the standard issue hipster uniform, complete with an overly groomed beard and a t-shirt with a silly catchphrase on it. 
Hi, Jackson. Not even trying to return the gesture, Jackson continued. What in the hell are you doing here? You think it's funny to join a protest against yourself? No, I'm, I'm, ju I'm just here to take care of something. Well, then just make yourself useful to the cause and tell your professor we aren't leaving until he resigns. It's enough this country still has tax-supported schools that teach creationism. One would think that with the rise of the tech government, things would finally get better. But of course, there always has to be someone like your backwards-ass professor standing between humanity and progress. Left to his devices, he'll take society back 200 years and lead us back to theocracy. And as for you, Jackson stopped, then raised his voice. I can't believe Rose is still with you. She is too good for you. You do know you're ruining her life, right? She calls me at least once a week, crying. Hey, where in the hell are you going? Sam was striding towards the stairs and out of the crowd, with Jackson screaming at her back. Hey, everybody, God's little jester is here. Sam's blood boiled at the nickname she'd heard more than her actual name in the last few months. Pressing on through the people, she got up the stairs as quickly as possible. At the top of the stairs, she turned back and surveyed the crowd, still screaming. Sam again reached into her bag. Where is the goddamn thing? She found what she was looking for and clenched it in her hand. She could see her car beyond them, up the hill. That's where she needed to be. Sam screamed, Leeches of society, that's all you are. She whirled on the spot and slammed through the doors. Striding down the hallway and trying to forget about the whole scene, Jackson's comments kept coming back to haunt her. Am I really making life hard for Rose? What's wrong with me? But the thoughts just confirmed her path. Stay the course, Sam. Marching through the hallways, every step echoed like a war drum being pounded until Sam came to her professor's office. Standing in silence, she felt as if someone cemented her feet to the floor. The light was on inside his office. God damn it. She lifted her hand and saw the veins popping out while clenching the letter she'd taken from her purse. As if she didn't know what it said, or maybe hoping she'd forgotten to put the letter in, she opened the envelope. She skimmed over the formalities at the top, taking her time rereading the last few sentences. I apologize, but I can't continue my PhD. But I want to make it clear that it's not because of you. It's difficult to verbalize, but I just can't go on. My actions will become clear soon enough. I don't feel I have any other options. I hope you'll understand and thank you for everything. Rose was spot on. Ambiguous and mysterious was the only way to describe her communication style sometimes. She stared at the page for what seemed like minutes. Then the phone rang again, jolting her out of her trance. The name on the phone made her heart sink, but she knew she had to answer. It might be the last time she spoke with her. How's it going, Sam? Hi, Mom. I'm fine. What's up? Sighing, Sam knew she was terrible at hiding her feelings. What do you mean, what's up? I'm just checking in on my daughter. How's your dissertation coming along? Listen, this isn't official, but a colleague at work told me about a lab the company is building. Now that most of the governing is in the hands of our AI here at Solarius, they're focusing their resources on the development. And with your grades and our family connections, I can probably secure you a spot when the lab opens. Will you finish your PhD on time? She held back tears, trying to remember the last time her mom was excited about something in her life. 
Sam knew she was about to squash her expectations, as always. Mom, she paused, deciding on how big of a lie she should attempt. I don't... I don't think I can continue on. What do you mean, Sam? Is something wrong? You've been acting strange lately. Well, stranger than usual, I should say. Listen, Mom, I can't talk right now. Sam, you always do this, her mom interrupted, causing Sam's body to go numb. Even when everything is going great, for some reason you decide to ruin everything. Why are you doing this to us? Just think about how your grandma will feel. Mom, I know you could never understand me, and that's probably my fault. But I just can't go on anymore. I only answered so that I could say, um, just goodbye, Mom. Not letting her reply, Sam hung up. She turned off the ringer on her phone and threw it into the bag. No more calls. None. But in making that decision, Sam never felt so alone. As if someone threw her out of a plane and left her for dead at the top of the highest mountain. If her journey in life had taught her anything, it was that taking action was the only way through emotions. She shook it all away with a shudder. Sam slammed her resignation letter into the professor's mailbox. There, it's done, she thought. Step one is complete. There's no turning back now. Hearing movement coming from within the office, Sam jogged quietly back towards the exit, her breathing accelerating with each step. Facing the giant entrance doors, Sam's terror boomeranged back. Breathing as if she'd just finished a marathon, the gun jostling around in the bag reminded her that the hardest part was yet to come. The bag felt heavy as she shifted it between her hands. Sam gathered what little strength she had left and moved towards the door handle. But a hand landed on Sam's shoulder before she made her move. For the first time all day, the interruption calmed her instead of jolting her with fear. It was the voice that gave her comfort. Hi, Samantha. I'm glad I found you. Especially since you clearly weren't going to find me. I waited at the grind experience for well over an hour. Will was dressed exactly as she imagined a burgeoning history professor would, complete with the nerdy glasses and a large book under his arm. They'd sat next to each other in a graduate-level statistics course. Study sessions and a shared disdain for probability evolved into a close friendship that always felt safe. But they also challenged one another, causing a rare feeling Sam didn't get from many others in her life. They also shared a mutual fear about the direction the world was heading that consistently drew them back together. Oh, damn, I'm so sorry, Will. I completely forgot. With his characteristic smirk, Will replied, Don't worry, it was your loss more than mine. The coffee was awesome, although I still hate the self-service and the artificial setting. And as you know, it's not the first time you've ghosted me, so I came prepared. With a nod, Will patted the book as if it were a loyal dog. For the first time today, Sam surrendered to a real smile. So Samantha, what brings you here? I'd imagine this isn't the best place for God's little jester to be at the moment. Sam stuttered and tried to change the subject. Uh, just dropping off some paperwork, but uh, heading home now. Will cocked his head as he replied, What, that way? With the wild wolves all around you? Don't be crazy. They'll eat you up. Come on, let's use the back door. He grabbed her arm, 
seeming to know she needed to be led down a different path. Sam adjusted the bag uncomfortably and held it tightly under the arm opposite Will. But her relief at this turn of events was like air being let out of a balloon. She tried to hide it by asking, how did you know where to find me? Will's laughter was one of the few honest things that Sam could count on. Sam, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out where to find you. Clearly, it barely takes a historian. This time, she actually laughed out loud as he continued. But why do I feel this was the first time you smiled today? I know you don't care enough about what people think about you to let those protesters get to you. So what's really bothering you, Sam? Sam's eyes were locked on the floor as she tried to evade the question. She realized he'd given her an out with his comment about the protesters, so she took it. I don't get it, Will. Why can't they think for themselves? Ayn Rand is right. Most people are leeches, keeping the world in a pathetic status quo. Nothing moves on except for time. I sometimes wish there was a way to entirely reboot society, or maybe just burn it down. Sam lowered her voice but continued, Sometimes I just don't want to be a part of it anymore. Opening the back door to let Sam walk outside, Will seemed to be choosing his words carefully. Samantha, I'm fully aware that what I'm about to say will piss you off even more, but wouldn't you say you're behaving exactly like those people right now? Sam spat back. What? I, unlike these idiots, think for myself. And I, unlike these idiots, am not allowing society or anyone else's ideas to chain me down. As Will led them out the back way, beyond the sight of the protest, Sam took several deep breaths. Will remained quiet until she calmed down. Then he said, Samantha, remember last year when you helped me launch my manifesto in the middle of my John Weber interview? I distinctly remember him having the same look in his eye as you have right now as if you're standing at the top of a mountain, looking down on everybody else. You mentioned Ayn Rand, the great literary warrior, rallying against society with her sharp pen. But do you know how her story played out? Sam seemed confused. No, what are you talking about? Ayn Rand's objectivism was some of the cornerstone thinking around the philosophy of individualism. She levied strong opinions about most of society being leeches off of the gifted few creators, and also felt that altruism was useless. But in one of the great ironies of intellectual history, Rand ended up dependent on the exact social safety nets that she so hated. In the end, she was forced to collect Social Security and Medicare to survive. On the back stairs to the upper parking lot, Sam stopped and turned to Will. Her eyes widened and, although she wanted to speak, her face already gave away her discomfort at the information, so she let Will continue. Sam, we're all only human. Rand's experience shows us how not looking on the other side of the coin can make us even more dependent. While you were fighting against someone putting their ideas in your head, you allowed Ayn Rand to put her ideas in there instead. Why? probably because what Rand said was something you wanted or needed to hear at the time. Being an individual doesn't mean to look down on other people. Being an individual means to wisely wield this double-edged sword to decide how, when, and what to opt into and out of in life. You're not alone, Samantha. 
and you don't have to be alone. And it's okay to not want to be. Sam turned her face and kept walking up the steps. The tight feeling in her throat synced with her tears. She looked down at the protesters again, then back at Will. Listen, Will, I need to go. I'm sorry. Sam stepped forward and hugged Will. It's okay, Sam. I understand. Good luck and keep yourself safe, okay? He held her hand for a moment, and then he was gone. Goodbye, Will. But it was said so softly, he could not have heard it. It felt like days ago that she'd been sitting silently here in her car. It hadn't even been an hour. The gun was back out, but now it was in her hand. She checked the cylinder as they'd showed her at the gun range, still loaded, of course. Tears streamed down her face. The gun was dead weight in her right hand, but her finger moved along the line of the trigger. She had to stick to the plan. She had to act. She had to act. She wiped the tears away with her opposite arm and stuffed the gun back in her bag. Just as she entered the destination coordinates, Sam's phone buzzed, rattling her nerves as if it was an earthquake. She saw a text message from Rose with the grocery list. The car drove Sam off the college campus and parked at the grocery store. Leveraging the remaining energy from her time with Will, Sam finished the shopping quickly. Back in the car, Sam observed the trees getting denser as the car drove her closer to the edge of town. All of the nature comforted her, allowing her to enjoy the silence in her head for once. Just ahead, the stoplight to her subdivision turned red. Through the windshield, she could see her building. Somewhere on the third floor, Rose was likely reading her book. Even though no one was on the road, the self-driving system turned on the turn signal. It was funny how predictable her patterns were. The car needed almost no input from her. Click, 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 click. The light turned green. Just as the car was ready to continue, Sam hit the brake, automatically engaging the car's manual mode. With a deep breath, Sam grabbed the wheel and accelerated through the intersection, trying not to look back at her building. For at least half a mile, the turn signal kept clicking until she finally turned it off. When the tears dried on her cheeks, she let some final thoughts surface before brushing away the pain. She hated to exit like this, having only left Rose a note concealed in her book. But she wasn't in a strong enough place to trust her emotions wouldn't betray her if she was standing before Rose. She'd made her decision, and this was definitely the best for both of them. Jackson was right. She was holding Rose back. She'd ended the note saying, Goodbye, Rose. I love you. But this is the only way. I need to break with my familiar acceptance of everything in order to live free and find my path. Looking for reassurance, Sam looked down at the bag and the gun, which had haunted her for the last few weeks. Next to the bag on the seat were ropes, a tent, and several other bags of camping supplies, including canned goods and piles of other food from the grocery store. Atlas shrugged, still sat propped open to the pages of notes at the back. Glancing at the well-worn page, she recited from memory the other quote she'd written and highlighted on that page. This one from a French writer whose name Sam never bothered to learn to pronounce. It said, In order to see the world, we must break with our familiar acceptance of it. When my day comes to die, Sam thought, 
I don't want to realize I haven't lived. Far ahead towards the setting sun, a heavily forested area and several mountain peaks grew bigger. The air smelled like freedom. And just because she'd had to leverage society to get there didn't mean it was wrong to separate herself from it for a while. She had to know if she could do it and what it would do to the way she saw the world. She needed to break her familiar acceptance of it if she was ever going to be able to accept herself. Sam turned on the phone, realizing she needed to check the map one final time to make sure she didn't miss the key turn. Fortunately, only one message came in. The text was from Will. It was a link to an old and unfamiliar song, but she did know this was one of his favorite artists. There was also a short message, stay safe. Clicking the link, a soft atmospheric voice started singing, someday my pain will mark you. And soon after, with the wild wolves around you. She shook her head when it finally hit her. He knew, she thought. He knew I was leaving the whole time. For only the second time today, Sam smiled. As the song crescendoed, the lyrics, what might have been lost, were repeated over and over. The vocals were haunting and beautiful. It was getting cold out as she ascended, but Sam rolled down the window anyway and turned up the volume. The hair stood up on her arms, making her feel more alive than she'd felt in a long time. In her rearview mirror, the city and society got smaller and smaller, while the forest and distant peaks in front of her got bigger and bigger with each passing mile. She thought about Will. She thought about her plan. She thought of all the things that might have been lost if she hadn't taken these steps today, no matter how this played out. She would stop the engine of her world, but hopefully just long enough to locate what she was seeking within. She played the song on repeat until her signal faded away to zero bars and the battery on her phone went dead. She was free, at least for now. The Evolve Faster podcast is written, produced, and performed by Scott Ely. Many episodes are also co-written with the help of Antonio Rosich. It takes an enormous effort to produce all the quality, original content needed for this podcast. Your support would be greatly appreciated, and you can learn about multiple ways to do so by going to evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Here you'll find direct links to review and give the podcast five stars on key platforms like iTunes and share it on social media. These are free to do but are critical to audience growth. And the only way to find out about new seasons is to register your email, so please do so. You will only receive valuable content and information on upcoming seasons and products. And finally, if you're benefiting from the Evolve Faster podcast, direct financial support at whatever amount you can afford is important for our survival. Running ads on a channel for free-thinking content is an inherent conflict of interest. So if you want the podcast content to remain unhindered by commercial interests and stay edgy and raw, then direct support is the best and only path to content independence. Also, writing and production of each episode of the Evolve Faster podcast is a major undertaking spanning many months. It's a labor of love, but it does need your help to survive. 
So please consider becoming a subscriber at evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Your help and support are greatly appreciated and are what makes this podcast possible. Isn't it time for an upgrade? It's time to evolve faster.